Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North, that's Russ Hodges, and it's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week in TCU athletics. Um, the the Horn Frog football team competed in the national championship for uh, for about, I don't know, half a quarter, and and then ended up getting blown out 65-7 to to Georgia. Uh, TCU basketball team dropped two kind of heartbreakers in the final minute. Um, a lot of players leaving to the NFL, players transferring. Garrett Riley's headed to Clemson. We'll get into all of it, but uh, it's been a tough week to be a Frog fan, Russ. Yeah, we're collectively uh, slowly but surely crawling out of our holes. Uh, some of us, I think, are still in those holes as we speak. Um, not going to lie, it was a it was a difficult night, Monday night. Um, actually felt like I woke up Tuesday morning with a hangover. Like I, I felt depressed, upset, disappointed, so many things about the national championship game. But, um, you know, there are going to be greener pastures ahead for TCU athletics. So nothing is uh, all doom and gloom, but... Unfortunately, we do have a football game to discuss here briefly, so uh, we will cover what we have to cover in regards to that. Yeah, and I guess we we can just start by saying TCU did play in the national championship, and that is a huge accomplishment. I think after the result and as it was unfolding Monday night, we're hearing from a lot of other fan bases around the country about how clearly TCU didn't deserve to be there. TCU hadn't earned that opportunity. TCU's, uh, you know, all a blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and it's just, it's nonsense. TCU obviously did earn the opportunity to play in that game. Uh, Georgia's just a juggernaut. Georgia has beaten every team it's played for two seasons uh, for two national championships, um, it it clearly showed that the the tier that Georgia is on is uh, significantly different than the tier that everyone else in college football is playing on right now. Um, and that, yes, Nick Saban, that includes you. Uh, yes, all of you in Knoxville, that includes you, and and certainly all of you in Austin that quite obviously includes you and you can, you can stay in our mentions and you can stay on the game thread talking all that mess about TCU losing again in the national championship game after having just beaten Michigan, one of your traditional blue bloods. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much more uh, oxygen to give those arguments because I think anyone listening here um, and, and certainly us, don't believe any of that mess, but, um, you know, I think what's disappointing is, is that TCU didn't put up more of a fight. Um, I think just having that opportunity to be on that stage and certainly to take not just a loss, but, but an embarrassing loss, one where, you know, it was reported that Georgia was already, uh, popping champagne and smoking cigars at halftime. There's the videos of them eating, uh, you know, people's chicken tenders and, and like fried fish meals on the field. Um, and yeah, TC was outclassed in the game and 
clearly had uh, Georgia had better players and a better game plan and were more prepared to play and went out and executed um, with surgical precision um, and, and took down TCU in pretty uh, pretty stunning fashion, I think. Yeah, at the end of the day, TCU still went 13-2 and two and finished as the AP number two team in the country, number two in most coaches' polls. And it, it's unfortunate that this game is going to put a, a bit of a damper on what was otherwise just an awesome season for, for the Frogs. When you consider where the program has been over the last four years, as well as all of the turnover with the coaching staff and the roster and preseason predictions, TCU being predicted to finish near the bottom of the big 12. I've said it before on this podcast that I was hoping TCU would at least make a bowl game and, and finish with some kind of a winning record this year, just to start building some positive momentum going into year two, year three, and so on under Sonny Dykes. And, to be able to run the table in the Big 12 during the regular season and beat four ranked teams in four weeks and play an absolute grind of a schedule, to, to top that off with bouncing back from a, a heartbreaking loss in the Big 12 championship to win what, what may be my most favorite TCU football game ever, like by a long shot, the Fiesta Bowl, there's still so many great things to take away from this season and... TCU earned its chance to play in the national championship. Um, a lot of folks on social media, Alabama fans specifically, talking about how TCU didn't deserve to be there. Well, that's why you play all the games. You know, you play a regular season, you play a conference championship for a reason, and you look at the full body of work. You know, Alabama, if you want to make it to the college football playoff, don't lose to Tennessee. Don't lose to LSU. Uh don't survive against Texas in, in a low-scoring game. You know, like you said, these, uh, the, these, yeah, in Texas A&M as well, survive. Yeah. So, like you said, there are a lot of uh, hypothetical scenarios and, and arguments that don't deserve a lot of our time or breath. But you know, one thing I will say, and you mentioned being disappointed with TCU not putting up much of a fight, and Sonny Dykes talked after the game about how. Perhaps the players were a little too overhyped for this game, and they felt like they let the fans down. The The big picture takeaway from me in this game, just the broadest picture, was Georgia looked like a team that had been there before. TCU looked like a team that was starstruck. Um, I'm not going to say a team that was just happy to be there, because I think that implies a little too much. But, you know, I, I think... We, we talked about it a little bit before we started the podcast. Had TCU found a way to get some kind of positive plays later in the game, maybe this isn't so bad. I mean, you're getting blown out. It's the third and fourth quarter. Even if you're not going to win the game, go out there and try and make some plays. You know, be the, be the last player to get a sack. Be the last team to score a touchdown. A lot of these players who are fifth year, sixth year players may not ever play a down of football again after that, you know, try to make a play for those guys. I think for me, I personally felt really let down and super disappointed with TCU's performance because 
I felt like the frogs, and, and I'm going to say this because I've always kept it real with you guys, and I'm a very honest person. I'm very direct and honest in the way I assess and evaluate things for people Uh-oh. who know me. Um, I felt like TCU quit at the end of the game. When I'm watching these plays on defense especially, and I see you know, Nook Bradford has a chance to maybe make a play in the end zone, hmm. and he stops running after the receiver, and it winds up being a touchdown. You know, you have Mark Perry and Trey Tomlinson watching guys go right by them as opposed to coming in and trying to make the game tackle. You have George's fourth string running back coming in and carrying guys 10 yards past the line of scrimmage almost into the end zone. You have George's backup quarterback coming in on a fourth down and five, and they're going for it up by a billion and converting. On offense, you have linemen that they're getting turned around like turnstiles. You have Amari DiMercato on one play. He's set back there to pass protect, and edge rusher just goes right by him. He doesn't see him, and Max Duggan takes another hit. He took so many hits in this game, and it, it was just it, – it was bad. Like, it was it, – I, I almost felt like the players should be ashamed with how they closed out the game. And, yeah, it's it, 65-7 to 7 is the final score, and it's one thing to get – beaten up by a vastly superior opponent. But it's another thing to go out there and just fold. And, you know, TCU throughout the season, they beat up Iowa State. They beat up Oklahoma. They beat up Tarleton State pretty badly. But you look back on those games, and I never really felt like Iowa State quit. They they were just vastly outplayed by a superior opponent. Oklahoma, you lose Dylan Gabriel to an injury. Davis Bevel, God bless him, comes in and just can't get anything done. Tarleton State, that's an FCS team. That result's pretty, you know, expected. This was the first time all year that TCU was on the receiving end of a paddling. And the response from TCU, particularly in the fourth quarter, there wasn't a single play or really a single individual performance from anybody in this game where you can look back on it and say, you know what, they lost badly, but that player really showed me something. Or that sequence of plays, that drive is something that next year's group can really build on as we get ready for 2023. Maybe I'm out of line for saying it. I know I'm not in that locker room. I'm a guy doing a podcast writing for a TCU fan website, but I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I felt like, I felt like the players gave yeah. up. I felt like they quit, and that's why I was so disappointed and so let down by the game. Yeah, and <clears throat> I will uh, I will definitely not use the Q word um, there. And the reason is, I'll say this, Georgia's fourth stringers, Georgia's scout team, Georgia's walk-ons, frankly, are four- and five-star guys. You mentioned Branson Robinson is, what, the fourth or fifth string running back for for Georgia? He was the number four overall running back in the country like two years ago. He it He's, you know, internet viral famous for being like 16 years old and looking like the Hulk. Um you know, and yes, he he carried TCU defenders into the end zone. He made 
Dominic Williams like stop in his tracks and and kind of just ran around him and it wasn't good to see a fifth string fourth string running back go do that to your starters on defense but the fact is Branson Robinson is probably like the I don't know 20th best running back in college football he just happens to play on Georgia where that you barely see the field when when you're that player um so it's it's tough to say that and and also the same way that uh Georgia was was already lighting their cigars i mean the it, it has to feel so demoralizing to be TCU in that situation where you know you're going to lose you know you um You've had this opportunity come so close to the the pinnacle, and and you know you can't get it. Um, that I understand being demoralized in that in that kind of a situation. Um, I think it still came down to execution, and it came down to to the guys on the field. I mean, I, Georgia won the game with, you know, they say there's the like Jim's and Joe's not X's and O's. Georgia won both. Georgia had, had a better scheme, a better plan, better prepared. Um, and you know, it's, it's really hard for a team like TCU to get up and take down Michigan and then turn around a week later, uh, and play a team like Georgia, you know, could it would it have fared better against Ohio State? Maybe, probably not, but maybe. Uh probably better. It would have been better. It would not have been this score. Um because Georgia was doing this to anybody. Yes, they played a close game with Ohio State. Um and really Ohio State and Alabama are, are the only people in the country with a talent equivalent to, to what Georgia can put on the field. Um, and Georgia would have absolutely destroyed Michigan, maybe not to the same score as this, but would have absolutely destroyed everyone else in the country. Um, so yeah, do I think they let the fans down? I think it's just TCU fans are going to continue to be very proud of this team and of this season, but it does leave a, it leaves a black cloud over it all. And I don't know that that's the team or the, the players letting us down. I think it's just, uh, it's a buzzsaw. I mean, it's, it's not like, it's not like one of those seasons where Ohio state in 2014 sneaks in over TCU and into the playoff and, and gets to play, uh, Oregon in that, that final game. Those are two really good teams, very strong teams, but Oregon was not a juggernaut like this Georgia team is. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> I said it in our our staff predictions of, and, and, you know, I was trying to be positive, but I said, like, Georgia is the boogeyman. Georgia is the, the monster at the end of the book. All of the, you know, they're hiding under the bed waiting for you um, to, to snatch you away. They're an unstoppable force. Um, and you know, I kind of believed that there was going to be some magic from TCU, 
Um, there just wasn't. And, and I guess the other thing I'll say on, on it is the, the stars matters guys, the blue chip ratio, um, a lot of, a lot of dancing on the grave on TCU this week. And I think it's just this one data point doesn't prove your point. Um, yes, it proves the point that TCU didn't win the national championship, but you were wrong 13 other times this season. Uh, you were wrong against Texas. You were wrong against Oklahoma, wrong against Baylor, wrong against Oklahoma State. Um, you can't you can't be wrong every time that TCU is going to lose. TCU is going to lose. TCU is going to lose. And then they finally do. Ah, oh, told you, TCU is a fraud. Now they're a fraud. I, I told you. Eh, I don't know. I think I think I think TCU did plenty to to make frog feds proud this season. Yeah, TCU definitely proved doubters wrong throughout the year. I mean, you talk about coming into this game, heavy betting underdog against Michigan, betting underdog against Texas. TCU wins both of those games. And the development of some of the players throughout the season, particularly Max Duggan, and the immediate impact that all of the transfer guys made from Josh Newton to Johnny Hodges to Alana Lee, who we'll talk about later on in this podcast, to uh, Jared Wiley, a player like Amani Bailey, who I think could potentially be a, a big-time contributor next year. It's it's very difficult to find so many players at so many different positions to come into a new system and play at a high level right away. And for the Frogs to find that symmetry, I guess is, would be the word for it, um, on, on all three phases – and just find different ways to win every week. I think that's what I enjoyed the most about this season is that particularly toward the end of the season, the second half, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, I, I kind of called it the grind when they had that stretch of three road games in four days or three, three road games in four weeks. And it felt like every week it was a different way to win, whether it was a a really strong fourth quarter or big plays in the passing game or the hypno toe it in a hurry field goal, or finally getting that huge statement win against Iowa, Iowa state and making it into the playoff, which uh, hopefully washed away some of those uh, 2014 nightmares for some, for some frog fans. But, you know, I think for, for this college football playoff, it's kind of interesting because the Fiesta Bowl was just such an unbelievable game for a college football fan, but also as a TCU fan. And then you have the national championship, which I'll be honest, I'm pretty much wiping this game from my memory after this podcast. Um, we're going to talk about it in a little bit more depth, but um, the Fiesta Bowl is the game that I'm going to remember for a very long time. And I think TCU fans will also remember that game for a very long time. Yeah, we'll get some distance from this one and it'll it'll be forgotten. It'll only be remembered by Georgia fans as a celebration of their dominance and by TCU haters who uh who weren't in the game and never could have been in the game because uh they're not any good. Um <laughs> so yeah, I guess we can. There's not a whole lot of analysis on the football game. I mean, it it, it came down to 
uh, one team was was much much better than the other team uh, on Monday night. But just to to get into it a little bit, I mean, after Max Duggan scored to make the game ten seven, I mean, it, it, TCU looked terrible to start the game. Duggan looked terrible to start the game. Stetson Bennett walks into the end zone from twenty one yards out. George is already romping. Uh, Darius Davis fumbles, but the defense there gets a stop, and it's just a field goal. So it's Georgia's up 10-0. TCU goes on a drive, culminates in a touchdown. Um, you know, there's the the bomb to to Darius Davis, sixty yards, uh, gets him down there close. Demarcado has a couple of really nice runs. And then Max punches it in, and it's like, all right, here we go. Game on. We're settled in. Everything's fine. Defense has got to stop. Offense has scored. Now it's game time. Um, and from there, I don't, I, I don't know. It just it TCU did kind of, kind of fold and just disappear. And and that's that's the power that Georgia has. And really, you know, put some respect on Stetson Bennett's name. He's he had an excellent game. Um, he led this offense with, uh, precision and he was an excellent athlete out there. I don't know if maybe TCU underestimated, uh, how good he was as a runner and, and when he's throwing to, uh, Brock Bowers, I mean, it's, it's unstoppable, Bowers is, um, he's just too good and TCU's defense is specifically, it, it's the, one of the biggest Achilles heels for TCU's defense is, is Brock Bowers is a tight end. Who's so elite um, in space and sure handed and just a, a, an amazing athlete. So um, yeah, I think that next touchdown was the lad McConkey gets wide open and just yeah. runs straight past uh, yeah. Hodges Tomlinson on just a broken play. I mean, really defense was all out of sorts. I, I they, they appeared to not have the right players on the field or the players that were there didn't know what the call was. Nobody was in the right place. And it was, it was a touchdown right from the snap. Um, I don't know, I guess Russ. And and from there, the romp was just on. I mean, there, there was, there were no stops from the defense and obviously the offense did no scoring. Um, I, I guess the one next thing, that I think when the game was just already over, I think it was the second quarter still. Uh, Georgia scores. TCU gets the ball in his uh, like fourth and six near midfield and punts yeah. down like three scores to in the national championship game to a team that you were obviously outclassed by. Um, it, it was a surrender, and Georgia took that from you know Sandy had a great punt, drops it down inside the ten. Uh, and Georgia brings it down and scores a touchdown, um, and the game's over. You got to at least try there. You got to you you have to attempt that fourth down play. Um, but I guess Russ, what on this game? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think from an individual standpoint, Stetson Bennett was phenomenal in this game. Um, I was caught off guard, to be honest, with how fast Georgia was on both sides of the ball. Um, the play where Stetson Bennett is facing the all-out blitz and D. Winters over-pursues on the blitz and Bennett gets out of the pocket for a lengthy run in the first down, that was kind of a, 
uh, microcosm of how Georgia's speed just seemed to catch TCU off guard and caught me off guard. And some people actually wondered, you know, could could TCU catch Georgia by getting into some tempo in this game? And actually, it was the Bulldogs who were catching TCU napping. You brought up the play where Lad McConkey scores the uncontested touchdown. That was a play where you have your defense looking over to the sideline, waiting for the play call. And Georgia runs the the quick huddle where they get up to the line real quick, snap it. You have um, two wide receivers on one side and the running back. It might have been McIntosh, I can't remember, but they had a running back uh, come out the left side from the backfield. So you had three receiving threats on that side with two defensive backs, a corner and a safety. Um, and, and Trey Tomlinson, I think, got some criticism on the broadcast for blowing that coverage, but you had two guys on that side of the field expecting to cover three. And if Trey Tomlinson goes back and stays on McConkey, well, then guess what? The running back is going to get a wide open reception near the sideline and possibly. Yeah. And it looked like he was running the play. Yeah. It it looked like Tomlinson was running the play that he thought was called on defense. He was, he was covering the man who was, who was there to be covered. Um, it just so happened there was nobody covering McConkey running into yeah, the end zone. Yeah, it was a blown coverage, you know, when it was all said and done. But I think for for TCU offensively, the one thing that I actually felt the Frogs did pretty well in the early going was they ran the ball, you know, pretty well. I thought DiMercato had some nice runs between the tackles, and by the end of the game, I think he averaged um, around four yards a carry, maybe a little over four yards a carry, which... You're playing without Kenray Miller against this defense, number one in the nation against the run. I'll take four to four and a half yards per carry all day. I thought he had some nice runs, but like you said, Max Duggan was frankly really bad to start the game. Um, Had Savion Williams on a throw that could have been a, a potential big game that is overthrown and has another play later in the half, I believe, where very similar to the Michigan game where he has a chance to step up in the pocket, avoid pressure and hit Quentin Johnston on a deep ball through a dime in the Michigan game. But this time around he chucks it down the field and it's about seven, eight yards over Quentin Johnston's head. It winds up being intercepted two interceptions in the game for, for Max and Duggan didn't play well at all, but it didn't help that the offensive line was under siege all game. I mean, it didn't matter if it was Jalen Carter or anyone else on that defensive line. Uh, Poor Wes Harris seemed like he was getting his back turned to the quarterback um, practically all game long, but the, the, the offensive line was not able to hold a pocket in this game. Duggan struggled. You have the turnover from Darius Davis on a what was a pretty solid play that picked up some good yardage. And um, your X factor obviously was Quentin Johnston. And he was a complete non-factor in this game. And Georgia, I think to their credit, they tried to double him throughout the game. And that actually worked in TCU's favor in one instance when Darius Davis caught the deep ball because Quentin Johnston ran, I I believe it might've been a inside slant route and drew a double team. And as a result, Darius Davis Uh, sprung open and caught that deep ball, but you just got to give Georgia credit. I think their speed on defense was really 
uh, showing throughout the game at, at all three levels. And then for, for TCU defensively, I mean, gosh, it was ju- just terrible. I mean, all the way around. And D. Winters after the game talked about how they beat themselves and how they just didn't execute those little things. And, you know, Georgia, I felt, did the two things against this TCU defense that I felt the Frogs have struggled with this year. When it comes to running the ball against TCU, I think the Frogs have done a good job in between the tackles. But when teams have been able to get outside and the Frogs don't set the edge, that's when they've given up that's when they've given up some big run plays. And I felt like a lot of what Georgia was doing on the ground throughout this game was outside of the tackle box. They were they were motioning linemen from one side to the other. They were creating a uh, they were creating a you know motorcade of blockers for Kenny McIntosh or Edwards or Kendall Milton. It didn't matter who was carrying the ball. They just were hitting the edges so well and TCU's linebackers all game long. It didn't matter if it was Jamoy Hodge or D Winters. They're they're running through the middle and trying to fill these gaps, but there, there's nobody there because everything is outside. So they were just, the, the linebackers were over-pursuing all game long. They were struggling to cover. Nobody could cover Brock Bowers in this game. And, you know. Nobody in America can cover and, Brock and, Bowers. And for, so. for Joe Gillespie, he's been, to his credit, he's been very consistent with sticking to the three-three-five. And people question, can the three-three-five? stand up against Michigan. Well, it made the necessary plays to, to win that game. I felt like in this game, when you're primarily playing zone defense and pass coverage against an elite tight end like Brock Bowers, as you mentioned, it's just, it's a horrible matchup. And it didn't matter if it was Nook Bradford or a linebacker or any other safety. Oh, was it Abe Kamara? One, one of Abe them was Kamara, Abe Kamara. Yeah, I think on, that was a tough one. And that, that's a play you, when I was watching the game, every third down that Georgia had, I looked for Brock Bowers to see what slot he was going to be in, because I knew he was going to get the ball. It was just a matter of where he did almost all of his damage over the middle of the field, which is where teams have had, success at times against this TCU defense. The Frogs haven't faced a dynamic tight end like that though, as you said, and it was just it it was just it was just tough to to watch at times. And um Stetson Bennett's able to run into the end zone off the edge. He's untouched and they show the replay on that rushing touchdown. And the first thing I'm asking myself, I'm just like, where are the linebackers? You see a couple defensive linemen chasing after him, but I'm like, where are the guys in the middle that are that are supposed to be helping contain on the edges? They just weren't there. So give Georgia credit again. I mean, they they attacked the edges hard in the run game. It was highly successful. They pounded the middle of that zone defense, throwing the ball. And Stetson Bennett, too, he made some awesome throws in this game. I mean, the throw to Ladd McConkey down the sideline where he caught it and had one foot out of bounds, that was a ridiculous throw. Uh, the A.D. Mitchell touchdown was a great yeah, one. Josh, Josh yeah. Newton, unfortunately, has been a victim of uh, several of those He gets the, He gets mossed. Just, I know. It, it's great defense. You can't cover it much better than that, but it's just... No. Stetson Bennett, I don't think, made a single bad throw in this game. Every throw that he needed to make was on target and we talked about 
one of the biggest keys to the game before this was could the Frogs win on early downs? Could they go up against a team in Georgia that statistically is one of the best, if not the best, on both sides of the ball in getting you off the field on later downs and converting on those later downs? They converted on almost every third down that they had. And when TCU had third down, it was third and 12 or third and 15 because you had offensive penalties like a holding here or false, false starts. start there. You had pass plays that would be negative plays or Duggan taking sacks. And there were just too many negative plays on early downs for TCU in the first half. And that prevented them from from getting any momentum. And it was just kind of unfortunate that going into the second half, it's 38 to seven, I think. And there just didn't seem like there was much effort from TCU offensively to try and make adjustments. I was thinking, knowing that your offensive line cannot hold up, try moving the pocket a little bit, try to roll Duggan out to his left or to his right, have him complete some, some short passes to a Jared Wiley or, uh, Savion Williams or Quentin Johnston, a bigger body target to just get some kind of positive yardage on first down, a five yard quick out route or something like that. Try some jet sweeps, try a quarterback option play, just something where you're not relying on just consistent drop back, consistent drop back because the, the pocket just wasn't there, you know, all game. And it, it, it was just, you know, a, a tough, just just tough all, all around. I mean, I, I don't know how much more analysis there is to be had, but um, just Georgia came out and, and like you said, they they outclassed TCU. They they just took it to them. And I guess I guess it's time to flush it, frankly. I think I think it's time to to put that game at least away and and maybe just think about there'll be it's a long off season there's already been quite a bit of news um going into the off season but it's a long off season and and we'll see where things stand come come September against Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes I think there's going to be it's going to be very interesting I mean they they've obviously built uh built a roster there that a rebuilt roster. So TCU is going to have to come with it um, all off season to make sure to be ready for, you know, target will be fully on the Horn Frogs back all of next season. And uh, everybody's going to be out for blood trying to, trying to take the frogs down. I guess, do you think TCU will deserve a spot in the top 25? I, I know there's all those, way too early, super early top 25s that come out right after the national championship game. And for the most part, TCU's featured at least in the top 15 of those. Um, is, how do you feel? Is that appropriate? Is TCU, should TCU remain in that, in that air area of, uh, of the top 25? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen some predictions that have even had Oklahoma in the top 25. So if you're going to put Oklahoma up there, you might as well put the frogs up there too. I think top top 10 or top 15 might be a little too much. I'm predicting somewhere in the 15 to 25 range. I think when you consider the amount of 
big time players that are already declared for the draft or that are likely to declare within these next few weeks. And we'll probably talk about it at some point on another podcast, but there, there are going to be a lot of changes, particularly on offense. You're going to be losing likely uh, three of your five starting offensive linemen. You have two tight ends that are uh, a senior and Jared Wiley, a redshirt senior and Jerquarius Spivey. They might both be gone Quentin Johnston, we know, is going to go to the NFL. Kenray Miller might be going with him. We know Max Duggan is going. So a lot of guys that maybe didn't get a lot of reps this year or any reps at all are going to have to start next year and play well if TCU wants to have uh, close to the amount of success that they did this year. And also on defense. I mean, Trey Tomlinson, uh, D. Winters, Dylan Horton, I think those are all guys that will – be drafted at some point in the 2023 draft. And um, you have some rotation guys on the defensive line that are going to be on their way out as well. So um, some, some turnover over on that end as well. And the new transfer additions that are going to be coming in, you have to see how they, they fit in. So my, my prediction would be somewhere in the 15 to 25 range. That would be, that would be fair for me. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a really challenging season to see how you how you do it when you're uh, from the top and and needing to prove folks right that uh, that you're deserving to be a good team. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that TCU should be the favorite to win the Big Twelve next season. Um, I'd probably give that to Kansas State and then maybe Texas too, maybe Oklahoma, then TCU. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get into all of that, but it'll be a really intriguing season too, as we welcome the, the four new teams, um, into the conference, see how the schedule ends up looking, um, lot to happen in, in the upcoming off season. Um, with that, we've had some portal news, Russ, what's happened, or I guess some recruitment news that, uh, TCU missed out on Russ, what happened with the, the all American game this past weekend? Yeah, quite a few recruitment and portal things that have gone down over the last, uh, week, a couple of uncommitted four-star guys that were big TCU targets played in the all American game. That was Mikhail Harrison pilot from temple, Texas, and then Jelani McDonald, both players were recruited pretty heavily by TCU both visited the campus back in December. Um, Mikhail Harrison pilot did commit to Houston and Jelani McDonald committed to Texas. And I think those were uh, the two favorites, I guess you could say it wasn't a super huge surprise for either of those guys. I think it probably would have been a surprise if, if one of them picked TCU, especially Jelani McDonald. I think he was, crystal ball to Texas for a while. Uh, pilot, I think it was a bit closer, but um, two talented four-star guys that'll be going elsewhere, but TCU has already built up a really solid 23 class, I believe, 23 or 24 total signees, a lot of four-star guys, and the transfer portal is where TCU continues to make a lot of noise. They are bringing in John Paul Richardson for all the Oklahoma State fans out there. You are welcome to join the Frog bandwagon now if you like. Uh, John Paul Richardson was really, really solid for Oklahoma State this year. Had over 500 receiving yards, almost 50 catches for a team that 
it was like a quarterback carousel every week. You didn't know what you were getting, whether it was Spencer Sanders or Garrett Rangel or even Gunnar Gundy, son of Mike Gundy, the head coach. But uh, John Paul Richardson was really consistent, had a phenomenal catch against the Frogs where uh, Josh Newton, as we mentioned before, was... Yeah, I was going to say, poor Josh was, Newton. ...was mossed. Um, they may now be teammates, though, next season, but... This will be a really nice addition for for the Frogs. He's the sixth transfer addition in this class, the first non-SEC guy. Um, I talked in the in the bonus episode about Trey Sanders coming in from Alabama. Uh, three Alabama guys coming to TCU, as well as Avery Helm, the corner from Florida, and Jack Beck, the wide receiver from LSU. So, uh, John Paul Richardson going to give the wide receiver room a pretty notable boost. But there is one more transfer to talk about, and this could be the first of maybe a couple other dominoes for the Frogs. And it's Sam Jackson, the former four-star recruit who competed for the starting quarterback job this season with Chandler Morris and Max Duggan. Drew a lot of praise in camp for his play. He's a big-time athlete, extremely athletic. You could see it in how he ran the ball earlier this season, rushed for two touchdowns in game action earlier this season. Uh, unfortunately, he entered the portal on Tuesday, and yesterday it was revealed that he is transferring to Cal Berkeley. And Cal, I believe both of their top two quarterbacks from this season are in the portal. So Sam Jackson is going to have an opportunity to go out there in the Pac-12 and compete for a starting job right away. It's a a bummer, not going to lie. Sam Jackson from Naperville, Illinois. Shout out Naperville Central High School. Again, I give the Illinois high school players a shout out whenever I can. Um, su- super athletic guy and kind of a bummer. I was really looking forward to seeing him develop at TCU, but it's just one of those things, especially at the quarterback position and in this transfer portal era, that if there is a opportunity to go play elsewhere, and he will be a redshirt sophomore. Uh, next season so playing time at TCU next season may have looked pretty slim so he is heading out west so best of luck to Sam Jackson is there a potential replacement waiting in the wings well there might be because Walker Howard who is a former big time four-star recruit fringe five-star quarterback prospect went viral in that LSU recruit video with uh let with uh brian <laughs> kelly i was just about to say les miles gosh dang it he ain't les miles. <laughs> brian kelly doing that throwing the l up dancing with our guy walker howard the 360 k walker has yeah. entered the transfer portal as of yesterday now this is newsworthy because it's being reported that tcu could be a favorite for him and he was obviously teammates with jack beck at LSU, but both of them also played at St. Thomas More, which was their prep school. So um, could be reuniting with a former high school and college teammate in Fort Worth, we will see. Would be a, a huge addition for TCU's quarterback room. Sonny Dykes uh, mentioned a little while back that he was looking to add a quarterback to the room at some point this offseason in the portal. I know one name that was brought up was Sawyer Robertson, the Mississippi State 
transfer. He has since committed to Baylor, so he will be competing for the starting quarterback job at Baylor, and we will wait and see if any more news comes our way about Walker Howard. But uh, that is all the latest recruitment and transfer portal stuff. Just a little update on the recruitment stuff. I believe February 1st is National Signing Day, so we will find out for sure by that date whether or not TCU adds any more players. I know Warren Roberson was a four-star safety, the only player in TCU's 2023 class that did not sign early. Um, Not sure where they stand with him, but uh, more to come in the next few weeks for TCU in the portal and on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and I think think the early portal period ends next week as well. So I think uh, there might be another flurry of action here in the in the next week or so. I want to say January 18 maybe is the closure of that that portal period, um, and it'll open up again after spring practice. I think in May. Um, so things will go a little bit quiet in the portal. You might you might hear rumors of things, but but nothing official once once that window closes. Um, just wanted to go back on Sam Jackson and and say that it, it is it's unfortunate that uh, the frogs are losing him. He's definitely a, a high talent player. Um, I want to make sure to shout out the correct Twitter name, but uh, yeah, Clint Brewster from Twenty Four Seven reported out that he was told that forty teams reached out to him, um, including some big time names. Uh, you know, he was in the portal for one day and and committed the next day so um a lot of a lot of action for for sam jackson's uh to to get his commitment and and it's i I think cal is (laughs) there's there's certainly a lot of cal people who um have no love lost for sonny dykes and and kind of his poor performance as the coach uh there so I, i think they're taking a little bit of, of happiness in that, but I think Cal's on the up and up. I mean, they, they've done a, a lot of good stuff in the transfer portal thus far. Uh, they have a really good coach there. So I think, I think they could be doing some things. Pac-12 is going to be very interesting next season. A lot of, a lot of talent returning there and coming in. Um, and all right, what, what else we got? We got some, we got some news. Um, if I remember, if I remember, all right, onto the, onto the guys who are, yeah, the big guys moving on to the NFL draft, yeah. If I remember correctly, real quick, um, Kenny Hill works at Cal, doesn't he? Isn't he on their staff? Oh, is that true? Oh, I didn't. I do not I remember mean, that. I didn't I, know I that. I looked it up real quick right here because I, I thought someone mentioned this to me earlier. I couldn't remember or not, but yeah, he's a, a quality control coach on offense for Cal. All right. And obviously, with Sonny Dykes having coach there's the there. connection. Yeah, maybe, All right. Uh, Maybe Sonny pulled some strings in the in the back room to help our boy uh, get get a look out there. Who knows? The the next Kenny Trill, Sam Jackson, go get that September Heisman. All right, all right. So uh, some Horn Frogs that are officially taking that next step to to professional football officially making their plans known to to leave the Horn Frogs, um, whether they have eligibility or not. Uh, so Steve Avila has formally announced he's declared. Um, and uh, also offensive lineman Alana Lee. 
And then today, Travis Hodges Tomlinson also formally declared for the 2023 NFL draft. We're certainly expecting more uh, declarations to come um, in the next weeks, but um, nothing unexpected here. And big congrats to these guys. They deserve it. Um, Very likely to, I mean, Tomlinson is probably a day two pick at this point, and and I would I would see Avila and Ali also being drafted and and getting a, a good shot in NFL camps uh, come this summer. Yeah, the the Bears I think are a team that could use all three of those guys. So uh, Ryan Poles, GM of the so number one <laughs> overall, number one uh, overall, Travis Hodges Tomlinson. The Bears need a wide receiver. <laughs> they need some interior linemen, and they need a corner who could potentially be a, a nickel guy. So j- just scoop up all of our frogs, and you'll be uh, you'll gain a lifetime supporter in me. No, but looking at these guys <laughs> here, um, Steve Avila has just been so solid throughout his career at TCU, and a guy who has primarily played center, but he's played every position except left tackle for TCU since he's been with the team. And for, for a guy with his size at six four three thirty to be that versatile, um, to be a consensus all American this year, as well as a two time AP all big 12 first team. Um, and for a guy who you could even argue he was playing out of position this year because you bring in, Alana Lee, who I think honestly is probably the most underrated, underappreciated of the transfer portal additions this year. You know, guys like Josh Newton and Johnny Hodges and Jared Wiley, their their stats jump off right away. All of those guys are incredible players in their own right. But for Alana Lee to come in, another guy who played all over the line at SMU to come in he was a second team all American athletic just last year. And he went from second team, all AAC to first team, all big 12 in the span of one season. And for him to come in and play center and basically be the quarterback of the offensive line, working with a coaching staff that he had familiarity with at SMU that allowed TCU's offensive line to get almost double better because you were able to shift Steve Avila over to left guard. So that filled a huge hole at left guard. And then you got super consistent high level play at center. So what, what those two guys, Steve Avila and Alana Lee did for TCU's offensive line this year was awesome to watch. And I hope both of those guys go to a team where they can compete to play right away. Trey Tomlinson, Really curious to see what his role will be at the next level and how NFL scouts see him because as great as he is, and he's a three-time All-Big 12 first-team player, he's been a starter at TCU for four years. Obviously, the bloodline being LT's nephew, he's lived up to his name throughout his collegiate career, that's for sure. But with him being 5'9", having struggled at times against some bigger receivers, some of those six, three, six, four type of guys. I wonder if he could be like a nickel corner or almost maybe even like a free safety at at the next level. I know he played a little free safety last year because of all the injuries. He was forced into it last year. Yeah. And I think listen in the NFL, in this era of, the young quarterbacks and teams throwing the ball and scoring more points, you need more cornerbacks. It's a, 
it's a super premium position on defense along with edge rushers. So I think a team that needs a third cornerback to run a lot of nickel stuff can definitely look at a guy like Travis Hodges Tomlinson. And I think he'd be good enough to, to come in right away. I don't know how much experience at the college level that he's gotten in the slot, but I, I could see him doing whatever role he gets and doing it really well. So like you said, congratulations to all three of those guys on just a great career at TCU. Yeah, certainly. And, and Tomlinson will be playing in the East West shrine game, which is a similar to the senior bowl, but maybe not quite as well known, but it's played in Las Vegas and it's um, for, for seniors and it's, you know, one of those showcase games, uh, NFL scouts and coaches will come out and, and give him a shot. But there he was listed uh, for their roster as a safety. So it seems like maybe the NFL evaluators are looking at him to be a safety at the next level. So we'll see, we'll see for him. I mean, he, this season, um, even further. Yeah. After, after two years as a first team, all conference in the big 12 this season, I think he really stepped up his game even greater. Um, his, his tackling was really strong this season. I mean, he was, he was making hits at the point of contact, uh, taking people to the ground, rarely giving up. I mean, obviously, the play in the national championship to Ladin McConkey aside, <clears throat> he was rarely giving up anything, uh, anything long, anything beyond uh, at, at a point of a catch. But he was giving up catches to you know Rasheed Rice and and big receivers like that. So uh, will be interesting what what's next for him. Uh, the next big piece of news that came through today, uh, just before we were recording Garrett Riley TCU's offensive coordinator the Broyles award winner uh for the top assistant coach this year uh is moving on to to I don't know greener pastures he's he's <laughs> taking his talents to Clemson uh to join Dabo Sweeney's staff Clemson uh fires its offensive coordinator and brings in Garrett Riley to take that job so uh, I know there's it's considered a lateral move. It's the same title, but um, you know, it's. I think it's going to be a big pay raise for him and a big opportunity uh, to to spread to show what he can do in another conference. Um, I, I think it was pretty widely reported that Riley was one of the top targets for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A and M for that role that was um, ended up getting getting filled, but uh, Riley turned that down and and what was a huge payday. So I think. A&M fans are a little bit salty that that Riley spurned them to go to go join Dabo and Clemson, but um, you know Riley and this offense. It's hard to know how much of this turnaround was him versus Dykes versus just <clears throat> general improvement in play, but uh, it was obviously a huge step forward in 2022 versus the 21 team uh, for Max Duggan for the offensive line and for the Horn Frogs. So a lot of credit to Riley and, and certainly deserving of whatever opportunity he wants to take. Yeah, when you look at some of the numbers for TCU offensively this year, uh, finishing ninth in scoring, despite the fact that included the national championship game. So you take that away. And I think TCU finishes the season with over 40 points per game. TCU scored the third most points in all of college football this year, 
Um, I can't remember which two. I think it was Georgia and Tennessee were the only two teams that scored more points on the offensive side than TCU. And for, for Garrett Riley, he was also the quarterback's coach in addition to being the offensive coordinator. So I'd like to believe that he played a role in, in helping Max Duggan with his development. And I think that Max Duggan, when you watch the, the tape, really did turn a corner in terms of just his confidence and some of the throws that he made. And, and the, the production obviously stands out right away as compared to his other three seasons at TCU. So, um, you know, congratulations to, to Garrett Riley and wish him the best of luck at Clemson. I think he's a guy that, like his brother Lincoln, wants to be a head coach someday. And this could be, you know, the next step to potentially achieving that goal of becoming a, a head coach at a power five program like his brother. So, you know, like you said, we'll find out uh, as we go into next year, obviously how much of an impact that Garrett Riley had. I know his play calling frustrated me a little at times, but I think all in all, he did a, a, a really good job and was definitely deserving of that Broyles award. And, you know, Sonny Dykes for a, a guy who's only been at TCU for a little over a year, having four assistants already poached, you know, I, I, I guess I take that as a, like a backhanded compliment when you consider the, the, the guys that he has brought in and where they have gone afterward, you know, Rashad Samples goes to the L.A. Rams. Chidera Uzo-Duribe goes to Georgia to help them win a championship. Garrett Riley's heading to, to Clemson now, and uh, Brian Carrington gets a promotion to go to, to Arizona State to, to reunite with, with Rashad Samples out there. So um, I, I trust Sonny Dykes at this point as, as a CEO as much as I do as a head coach and as someone who has been on the record saying that he wasn't a huge fan of the Sonny Dykes hiring when it first came out. I am, I am on board with, with the Sonny Dykes hype train. I am, I have eaten crow about Sonny Dykes just as much as I have about Max Duggan. So um, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see who TCU brings in to, to fill this role and, Hopefully there isn't a huge turnover as far as, you know, portal players or players on the roster. I don't really think there was much when Brian Carrington left. Obviously, this is a little bit more notable of a, of a departure, but Brian Carrington was heavily involved on the on the recruiting trail. So, you know, as long as Sonny Dykes is around, I think with his his offense and what he wants to do, if they can find the right coordinator I don't expect a huge drop off there yeah and you know you you want your coordinators and and the assistant coaches to be getting pulled to to new opportunities you know it's a sign of success I I think it it it's unfortunate to lose somebody after just one season um but you know that's it's just a sign that that Dykes has the right guys and hopefully uh, can bring in the next right guy to to fill this role going forward. Will be interesting to see how quickly that role gets filled. Surely um, Dykes has been on the lookout as as Riley's name has been floating around for head coaching opportunities at at G five level and certainly these these big time high dollar offensive coordinator positions. So 
I, I'm sure we'll we'll see something relatively soon on that, and and uh, we'll be exciting to look forward to. Um, some less exciting things to look forward to, man. TCU basketball, the last two games since we last talked, uh, really rough go with things. Well, I'll say this: TCU looked mostly good in these games um, at times, but dropping a a last second uh, buzzer beater after taking the lead late against Iowa State um, on what was that Saturday last week, and then um, here on Wednesday, eighteen point lead blown in Austin against number 10, Texas, huge opportunity missed for, for the Horn Frogs. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I watch these games. We can talk about them. I think it's just, this league is so tough where you can have those, those two games the week prior where you're feeling so good, where you get the big comebacks and you get the, the big close wins at the end um, over Texas tech and Baylor and then you come back the next week and you, you you have to face again two top 25 teams and um you're right there with them and you're not able to get those wins i think uh the horn frogs are still in plenty fine shape it's just in this conference there's no night off um TCU already this this weekend back in Shawmire has Kansas State who is on an incredible roll and is up to I think number eleven in the country, um, and we'll we'll probably keep climbing, um, regardless of the result this weekend. So, uh, Big Twelve basketball is is the best in the land, and it makes every single game kind of just a a heartbreaker or or a big sigh of relief if you can come out with a win. Yeah, the margin for error in this conference is almost zero i mean there's in each of these games there was and honestly in the texas game tcu didn't even shoot the ball poorly at all i want to say they shot 50 percent from the field and uh possibly over 40 percent from from three-point range and like you said 18 point lead you're up 42 29 at at halftime but it was just a couple bad turnovers down the stretch and a few missed free throws here or there that really killed the frogs. And, and when you're playing a number 10 team on the road in that much of a high level game, just those, those small mistakes are going to really hurt you. And in the Iowa state game, give that player credit for hitting a huge shot. Damian Baugh had a pretty good closeout on him. The kid just hits a tough three point shot. Uh, it was it was another it. game where the Frogs had to come back from a double-digit deficit, and they did it against Texas Tech. They did it against Baylor, and unfortunately just came up a little bit short in this game. But, you know, anytime I see these games and I see two-point, four-point, five-point differentials, it doesn't matter if I'm covering the game at the prep level or the watching it at the collegiate level or the professional level. The first stat that I always look at is free throw shooting, not turnovers, not rebounds, not transition points or things like that. It's always free throw shooting. And Iowa State was really bad in this game as well from the free throw line. They went three for nine, but TCU attempted 28 free throws in this game. 
so you have to give them credit for being aggressive and attacking the basket, but 16 for 28 from the free throw line. You cannot shoot 57% from the free throw line and expect to win. You get a 57% in school. That's an F on your report card. That's a failing grade. You're, you're getting held back if you get a 50 something on your report card. So just, a, a squandered solid shooting effort again from, from TCU in this game, they went seven for 15 from three, uh, outscored Iowa State 19-4 to on fast break points, but you, you can't leave 12 points out there on, on free throws against a ranked opponent. In a game you lose in by two. Ranked, yep. And against a ranked opponent. I mean, you just, you can't, and those are the kinds of things too when it comes to the NCAA. At home too. It's not even like it's the environment or, you know, fans going crazy, waving their arms, yelling at you. It's, yeah, that's a, that's an unacceptable effort from the free throw line in that game yeah in the ncaa tournament teams that can knock down their free throws are the teams that typically go a lot further than those that don't and the texas game the frogs were really solid from the free throw line i want to say they shot over 80 percent but unfortunately just a, a couple damian baugh had a you know nine point ten assist five rebound game but Struggled a little bit with turnovers in this game and and from the field as well. Finished only three percent. Two charges. I think he had at least two charges that were, uh, frankly, pretty questionable watching the game. But maybe that's my purple glasses on. Um, but uh, yeah, a, a little concern that I have over these last uh, couple of games, and admittedly they were a, a bit of a concern as well over the the first two games against Texas Tech and Baylor is. Um, those first two conference games, you didn't get really anything from your bench. Now, TCU was without Micah Peavy in the Texas game. They have gotten some really solid contributions from Jacoby Coles and uh, Xavier Cork over the last couple of games. PV doesn't sound like it's going to be anything serious. I'd imagine he'll be back soon. But, you know, part of me wonders... I think back to last year, Jamie Dixon primarily had a, a nine-man rotation with uh, PV, Cork, Coles, and Farabello coming off the bench. And obviously, Farabello transferred to Creighton. In comes Rondell Walker from Oklahoma State. You have Shahada Wells in his second year with the program coming back from injury. You're not getting anything from either of those guys right now. I mean, you're you're supposed to be getting some defense from Rondell Walker and a scorer off the bench in Shahada Wells. And based off of what I've seen, and and this has been fairly consistent with what we saw during the non-conference slate as well, you have to wonder at this point, does Jamie Dixon even bother giving those two guys minutes anymore? Like, did, did, does he have to give them minutes just to kind of stretch the rotation out a little bit? Or does he just clamp it down and, and play eight guys moving forward? Because from what I've seen, Rondell Walker just seems like a liability on the offensive end. And Shahada Wells has seemingly really struggled on defense and just hasn't given the Frogs enough of a scoring punch to, to warrant getting significant minutes. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It's just an observation that I made. And No, can't. 
can't argue with with that analysis. I mean, it's it's been some of those possessions when Miles is on the bench, particularly if there's times where Miles and Ball are on the bench. It's just really, really rough out there on the offensive end. It's uh, it's a tough scene. And and in this Texas game, I mean, Ball played 35 minutes, Miles played 32 minutes, Miller played 34. Uh, but that's and that's that's a lot of run for those guys, and and they're gonna have to do that every game uh, for the Frogs because yeah, even in those eleven minutes each, um, that's kind of when the runs would happen for the Longhorns, and and TCU took those shots for a while where they they were getting punched with these runs. Texas would go get seven straight, and then TCU would put it back to a double digit lead. Uh, Texas would get nine straight and then TCU would put it back to a nine point lead. Um, but, uh, eventually we're just not able to, to keep taking those punches and, and, and yeah, again, a, a, a good free throw shooting night overall, but for Miller to miss the free throw with the opportunity to take the lead, um, at the very end and then, uh, Mike Miles to miss the front end of a one and one um when you're behind down three and they do the the foul up three with like seven seconds left and and Miles misses the front end of it and and the game's over. Um it's that's not the way you want to see the end of that game play out. Um and credit to Texas to to storm that comeback and and <clears throat> put it in the Horn Frogs hands at the end to say Go make your free throws, and and TC wasn't able to do it. And yeah, like we said, next game up is uh, <laughs> Kansas State is going to be a, a tough one. Yes, up to number eleven, back here in Shawmy Arena in Fort Worth, huge game. Um, TCU really needs to stop this slide. Um, they they do get West Virginia, but it's in West Virginia uh, in the midweek. And it's it's a tough road trip here because you go at West Virginia, then at Kansas. Um you really uh you really can't go to like two and six in the conference. You really things start sliding out of control for you there, and you, you really don't want to uh fall into a situation where uh the rest of the conference is popping champagne and smoking cigars at halfway point of the uh of the conference schedule. So um Hopefully TCU basketball gets right back on the right track. Certainly not getting, you know, fully outplayed in any of these games. TCU's right there. Um, but when it comes down to it, to to get that resume, to to make the tournament, get a nice seed, uh, to be able to make a nice run, you're gonna have to win some of these games. Yeah, and you know, Jacoby Coles is a player that has shot the ball pretty well over these last couple of games. He had some moments during the non-conference schedule where he played real well off the bench and has honestly impressed me for, for a guy that seemed like he really struggled last season and was kind of a, a fringe rotation guy. Um, he's going to need to continue to play well off the bench and, and Xavier Cork has given them some good defense and some good rebounding. Um, Eddie Lampkin is someone who hopefully the frogs can get him going a little bit on the offensive end. You know, you look at his numbers right now, he's averaging, I want to say, about seven and a half points, uh, a little under eight points a game. Typically, TCU's leading rebounder, but 
someone who and man, he was off awesome on defense in that Texas game. He was excellent. And as as we've seen in the in the Arizona game in the tournament last year, we know that he can be an absolute monster on, on the boards and and get some putbacks and score out of the low post a little bit. So um, for for a team that has had Miles and Miller and and Baugh really shoulder the load offensively, uh, hopefully we can we can see some other guys like Eddie Lampkin or even. Chuck O'Bannon, who hit a, a huge shot against Baylor. Hopefully uh, those two guys in, in the starting lineup can start to heat up a little bit on, on the offensive end for, for TCU. All right. I think that's that runs out of all the things we have to say about uh, this really rough week in, in the Horn Frog universe. But um, thanks for listening with us today and following us at Frogs of War on the website, frogsofwar.com. Subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe to this podcast, read everything coming up. We are, now that it's it's full steam basketball season, uh, baseball season coming up, we're going to be putting a lot more focus here on the the hoops, and uh, we'll have the game threads going for that now going forward and um, putting a lot of our attention on that. So uh, looking forward to getting into this uh, critical point of the the basketball season and um, exciting things with all the spring sports coming up. So uh, thanks with that. uh, I'll sign off. Go Frogs. frogs.